Uh, there are, I would say, about 160 of us during her 34 years at NC State that played for her. And we all share a common um, bond to share her legacy and vision, and we all do our part. And I am the lucky one that I get to speak usually on behalf of all my former teammates, which I always take that with great pride and a responsibility to share because we have lost some teammates. I lost one of my teammates to breast cancer uh, from one of my teams. And um, we want to make sure that we're helping people that are fighting and that they know that the, we're in the fight with them trying to make a difference. So I know she would be highly proud of that, but she's had an impact on my life uh, in every role that I play, Addie, because uh, I had a 30-year relationship with my coach from being a middle school player uh, to being recruited by or playing for her. And then, of course, my basketball broadcasting career and then my role as a mom. So I've been so fortunate. I feel like a, it's a great privilege that she chose me. And uh, she chose me a couple of times, one to play for her and one to help carry out her legacy. And those are really important charges for me. Talk about game recognizing game. One of the premier college basketball television analysts talking about her coach that she played for in college, who is an absolute icon of the sport of college basketball. This is Adesina Koike, and you're listening to the A Lot of Sports Talk podcast, episode number 45 in your ear. And thank you so very much uh, for joining in and listening right now. It's the beginning of March. You know what that means. March Madness is around the corner. And if you have followed us here on a lot of sports talk the past few years, you know that we live for March Madness. Championship week, the NCAA tournament. Uh, and we cannot wait to bring you coverage once again of the NCAA tournament in 2021, both on the men's and women's side. We will do it in a socially distant manner, of course. Uh, this time last year was when the seriousness and the gravity of COVID-19 and its effects and the ramifications that it would have on America really started to sink in here inside of our borders. And uh, because of uh, the pandemic, the NCAA tournaments, conference championships had to be canceled uh, last year. And one year on, uh, we definitely hope that um, everybody involved in the 2021 NCAA men's and women's basketball tournament and postseason basketball tournaments uh, will be safe um, and that we'll be able to start and complete uh, the 2021 NCAA tournament after the cancellation uh, last year. We're going to talk about the women's college basketball tournament here on episode number 45 of the A Lot of Sports Talk podcast and kind of preview it a little bit going into conference championship week. It's been a fun and exciting season of women's college basketball. A season, though, that doesn't really have that team at the very top of women's basketball that you think is the prohibitive favorite going into conference tournament season and NCAA tournament season. You've had a number of teams uh, ranked number one in the country. UConn is there right now. Uh, there's not a lot of separation between the number one team and the number seven and eight team uh, this season. And we need somebody to come in here and talk with us about the state of women's hoops in 2021 leading into uh, the tournament and we found a perfect person uh espn college basketball analyst debbie antonelli is our guest for the a lot of sports talk podcast and we talk all things women's hoops specifically breaking down some of the top teams in the country going into march 
Is UConn the favorite? Is South Carolina the favorite? Texas A&M, NC State, Stanford? Uh, We get to talk about a lot of those teams. Why has the Pac-12 not won an NCAA championship since 1992, even though they've been so balanced, the league, in the past few years? They've had Oregon in the Final Four, Oregon State in the Final Four, Cal in the Final Four, Washington in the Final Four, uh, but they haven't broken through that ceiling and reached the top of college basketball uh, in a long time, almost three decades now. Um, are the Maryland Terrapins a threat, averaging over 90 points per game? Uh, it's fun, and it was fun talking with Debbie Antonelli about all of these teams, all these players, all of these dynamics. It was so heartwarming at the same time to talk about some things off the court. Uh, with Debbie Antonelli uh, as well. She played for Kay Yao uh, at NC State in the early 1980s. And Kay Yao, a legend of the sport, an icon of the sport, and of course, uh, best known uh, for being a champion and a warrior uh, after her breast cancer diagnosis. And uh, the Play for K initiative um, has been around in women's college basketball for a number of years now, raising a lot of money and a lot of awareness, uh, trying to beat and defeat cancer uh, once and for all. Uh, Cancer did uh, take uh, K Yao's life, but uh, K Yao lives on in many, many different forms and inside of many many people, including Debbie Antonelli. And she got a chance to talk with us and explain to us what Kay Yao meant and continues to mean to her. And uh, one other uh, conversation that we had with Debbie Antonelli, which uh, absolutely uh, is touching and was touching, and you'll get a chance to listen to it uh, in just a second. Uh, I got to ask her um, about one of her three boys. I actually asked her about all of her uh, three sons. Uh, one of her sons, who is a senior at Clemson University, uh, uh, was profiled in a story five years ago today uh, by Sally Jenkins, who wrote an article uh, in the Washington Post about the Antonelli family and is centered around uh, Frankie, uh, who has Down syndrome. And uh It was a behind-the-scenes look at the uh, Antonellis and the household and being a working mom and, you know, traveling all over the country um, and then coming back uh, home and uh, being a mom to uh, her three boys and uh, the uh, ups and I don't want to say downs, um, but the challenges, I should say, uh, that did uh, occur growing up and in the household. But Frankie uh, is someone who has absolutely thrived. And uh, Debbie got a chance to talk with us about um, a lot of the things that she had to go through uh, with administrators and uh, other people uh, in trying to get Frankie uh, uh, the love and the attention that he absolutely deserved and does deserve. Um, and uh It does have a happy ending, and this story is not uh, over by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, So uh, you get a chance to hear about uh, Debbie Antonelli, the mom, uh, with her three boys as well. And um, it's it's something that you should wait around for. I guarantee it. Uh, Our interview starts in just a few seconds with Debbie Antonelli, college basketball television analyst for ESPN and for CBS Sports. Uh, Sit back, relax, and enjoy uh, episode number 45 of the A Lot of Sports Talk podcast with Debbie Antonelli. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you at the very end of the show. 
For Division One women's basketball, it's less than two weeks away from Selection Monday. It's been a wonderful season so far. And at the very top of women's college basketball, it's been a little topsy-turvy. Uh, four teams have occupied the number one spot in the AP poll. The UConn Huskies are up there now, but Stanford has been the number one team in the country. South Carolina has been the number one team in the country. The Louisville Cardinals have been the number one team in the country, and teams like NC State and Texas A&M are breathing down their necks right now. What I'm saying is it's going to be a fun 2021 women's college basketball tournament in Division One. Now, we need someone to... Clear the picture, clear up the picture for us in terms of uh, women's college basketball going into Selection Monday, the NCAA tournament. Thankfully for us, we have one of the premier college basketball analysts in the country joining us on the A Lot of Sports Talk podcast. Emmy winner, proud mom of three boys. Debbie Antonelli joins us right now on the A Lot of Sports Talk podcast. First of all, uh, Debbie, thank you so very much uh, for joining us. And I do have to apologize to you because I know you work with uh, Carter Blackburn for the NCAA <laughs> tournament. You work with Beth Moens for uh, a number of games. You can't seem to shake people who attended Syracuse University. Uh, so I apologize <laughs> to you for that. But other than that, how are you doing today? Yeah, Addie, thank you so much for inviting me and for including me. And uh, what a great way to start it uh, with two outstanding teammates in Carter and Beth. Uh, I mean, those are great on-air partners to have and really good friends as well. Uh, they are wonderful people. And, of course, they went to Syracuse. All right, that's why that's part of the reason why they're uh, wonderful. But I do want to get to uh, some women's college basketball. Um, I mentioned all the teams at the very top of the AP poll at some point, four different teams. Uh, usually, and I shouldn't say usually, but there have been many a year recently where you could point to the IT team going into the NCAA tournament and their IT player, uh, you know, from UConn going back to, you know, Diana Taurasi and recently as uh, Brianna Stewart, you know, the Baylor Bears won a national championship. You knew Brittany Griner uh, was going to be the focal point, Asia Wilson and South Carolina. You knew they were the team to beat, although I think that year uh, UConn might have been right there as well, but Asia Wilson was the headline player. There are unbelievable amount of talent um, in women's college basketball this season, but I don't believe there is that it team uh, going into the NCAA tournament, or at least that team that you point to and say, we have to knock them off. Uh, given that, could this, especially given the nature of the NCAA tournament this year being in a geographical area and the first two rounds not being rounds where teams with the highest seed, lower number have the home court advantage most times, could we be heading towards the most unpredictable women's college basketball tournament in recent memory? Well, first of all, I commend you on your history. Outstanding job by you to profile some of the greats in the history of our game. I mean, you're dropping some names right there, Addy. I mean, I love it. I <laughs> I'm mean, trying. You're talking about women's hoops. How could you leave any of them out? Uh, the game has grown so much that we have finally reached a point of parity but the parity has been sort of forced on us in some ways and i mean that by you know we're going to have three new things in the women's game this year that we've never had 
you know, we're going to be all in one location. So geography is not a factor in determining seating. That is new to the women's game and the history of the tournament. That is so exciting because I think the players and the coaches have earned it. They deserve to be seated on an S-curve. The game is that good. The other thing is, besides being all in one location, we're going to have an S-curve, which is how we're going to see the tournament, one through 64. So one will play 64, two will play 63. That's the way it's going to be broken down. I'm very excited about that. And we have a new tool called the NET. So the, the national evaluation tool will be used similar to the men, but different in terms of uh, the algorithm. Still a tool that we've never had. And that is going to be used this year, which is really an odd year to introduce a new tool based on the pandemic, which no one could predict we would be at this point. So those three new things make the game very exciting. It makes it uh, a wide open field. The teams that you mentioned at the top are the teams that have Final Four caliber potential. And, uh, you know, the National Player of the Year race is open. And I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how it all folds out. But having the S-curve being seated based on results and not on geography is going to be really exciting for the game. Uh, going into this tournament, I mentioned some of the names and players who have dominated the regular season, carried it over to the NCAA tournament. They've become champions. They've become legends. They've become uh, WNBA All-Stars, international uh, stars when they go uh, overseas as well. Uh, in terms of the specific players, uh, there's so many to choose from, but probably not one that stands out from the rest. As you said, the uh, National Player of the uh, Year race is wide open. Probably uh, the uh, player who is drawing the most attention, I would I would say, uh, is Paige Beckers at the University of Connecticut because she is a freshman and because she is uh, just wise beyond her years and does not play uh, like you know, a high school freshman going into the University uh, of Connecticut. Is she probably the player who uh, mo is the person you would want to focus on more? Just uh, who are some other players that you could think uh, and believe that they could uh, take over, I guess, the NCAA tournament? Because at the end of the day, uh, you know, you know, uh, these players end up having to be out on the field and winning these games and these tournaments. So Paige is going to be a highlight player, but who else are some of the other uh, it women uh, going into the NCAA tournament this year? Well, Paige is great, uh, and she is fun to watch. It's must-see TV when she has a ball in her hands, and she's so talented, and it's going to be an exciting four years for all UConn fans and for women's basketball fans to keep an eye on her progress because she is so talented. She'll be in a race for National Freshman of the Year with a young woman named Caitlin Clark at Iowa. Their numbers are so outstanding, and that's going to be really interesting to see how that lays out. Um, Dana Evans has been named recently the Player of the Year in the ACC, back-to-back -back Player of the Year. That's uh, an incredible run that she's had with Louisville, four straight ACC regular season titles. She already has been to the Final Four in 2018. She has an ACC tournament title as well. She's a phenomenal player. And if you just go down the list based on the teams that you mentioned, um, South Carolina with Aaliyah Boston, uh, dominant on the inside. I think the most impressive two-way player that you have to game plan for on both sides of the ball. I'm not sure there's another player like that in our game right now. Uh, Ari McDonald out in the Pac-12 in Arizona. I think uh, Dane Evans has been named the player of the year. I don't really think there was any competition there. Paige Beckers, I anticipate, will be the player of the year in the Big East. But when you look at the other power leagues, you know, who's the player of the year in the Pac-12 or in the Big Ten or in the Big 12? You know, is, did Melissa Smith separate herself last night with a win over Texas? 
I think it's going to be really in- interesting to watch those particular players help their teams. And then when you mentioned Texas A&M, uh, they have so much balance. Gary Blair has what I always refer to as dial it up scoring. I think he's one of the brilliant offensive minds. And in the second half of games, when he has his team in front of him coaching the offense, uh, he's like a point guard over there on the sideline. He's so talented. Uh, there is going to be a lot of fun watching the seeding play out and then watching how the games play out. Uh, I think without having geography as a factor, I think we might see some more upsets, more early round upsets, not in the first round so much like ones and 16s or twos and 15s. That that game's not at, at the point like the men where that could happen. I think there could be some, you know, five twelves or um, – you know, the, those certainly the eight, nine games are, are always interesting for seeding, but the seven tens also. So I, I'm excited about the way it's going to play out, but there's a lot of really good players. And as far as the player of the year and all that goes, uh, I hope that we can name all, I wish we would name all that stuff before the tournament started, honestly, because I don't really think that somebody making a run in the NCAA tournament should catapult them over the regular season versus what somebody's body of work has already been. So it's always an interesting discussion to have um, the timing of when things happen and when the awards come out. Because I'm a how and why kind of person, Addy. I want to know how and why <laughs> things happen. That's sort of the way I bring um, my uh, perspective to the game uh, on the air, and that's how I look at life. Uh, once again, college basketball television analyst Debbie Antonelli joining us on the A Lot of Sports Talk podcast. And thank you so much for naming uh, a good number of players for all of us uh, to watch out for. And you mentioned, of course, some of the teams that they played for. And I was going to ask this a little later, but since you mentioned uh, uh, Caitlin Clark at the University of Iowa, they recently uh, played a game in College Park uh, against the uh, Maryland Terrapins, which was a thrill a minute affair. Um, where Iowa scores 90 points. They shoot like 56% from the field and lose by almost 20 uh, because Maryland's offense is uh, off the charts uh, this year. And I do want to focus specifically on the Maryland Terrapins uh, with Brenda Freeze. They have won a national championship under Brenda Freeze as well. She has that pedigree. Uh, There have been years they've had great teams. They've gone to the Final Four, have come up short because they've run into buzzsaws uh, in the Final Four, but they've had stumbles uh in college park and then uh uh, in the regionals as well with their style uh even though i believe they just won a game uh last night or a couple of nights ago that they you know only scored 60 points right but winning at northwestern is no easy feat um how would you assess the maryland terrapins given that they do want to more than push the tempo 80 points is probably an off night for them. Um, How would you assess uh, the Maryland Terrapins going into this year, specifically because of their style um, uh, going into the tournament? Is this something that can carry over into the NCAA tournament and threaten some of the top uh, four to six teams in the country? I'm so glad you brought Maryland up because it's a really good conversation about their team. Um, Brenda Freeze and that game against Iowa that you're referencing, 111 to 93, it's emblazoned across my forehead, 32 (laughs) combined threes. I mean, it was an incredible display of offense. Um, I I think sometimes teams like Maryland or Brenda in the past has been criticized uh, for not playing any defense. Just because they play a softer cover and not an up the line and an overplaying aggressive defense doesn't mean they're not playing any D. The fact that they can absolutely flat out shoot it and score. Five new starters from last year. I mean, they had a couple of kids go on the transfer portal. 
Everybody thought that they were going to struggle, that, you know, it was going to be tough for them. But she got a couple of kids out of the transfer portal, and they are a really good team with great chemistry. And most of their season has been played without Angel Reese, who's the number two recruit in the country. Now, I can't imagine most teams losing their top recruit and having the same success that Maryland and Brenda Freeze has been able to have. So, Addie, when I look at Maryland, I challenge Brenda Freeze every year because I think they're that good on offense to average 100 points. Why couldn't they average 100 points in the NCAA Division I women's basketball? I could totally see if anyone could do it, it could be them. They averaged a little over, well, they were at 93 before the Northwestern game, so I'm sure that's dropped a little bit, but they still lead the nation in scoring. And when you look at what she's been able to do, I think Brenda Fries has done a coach of the year job at Maryland. This is a team that can make a deep run in the NCAA tournament, and they're fun to watch because of the way they shoot it, the way they share it, how hard they work on the defensive end, and the chemistry that they play with. Maryland, definitely uh, a team to watch as well as as you just uh, mentioned. The Pac-12, you mentioned Ari McDonald at uh, the University of Arizona. Uh, the Pac-12 for a number of years has been probably the toughest uh, conference or maybe the most balanced conference uh, from top to bottom in the country. Uh, you think about the Oregon teams, Oregon State's been to a Final Four, Oregon's been to a Final Four, Cal in the, uh, in the past few years when Lindsey Gottlieb was there, uh, went to the Final Four. Stanford is Stanford with Atari Vanderveer. Uh, UCLA with Corey Close has been a wonderful team, a perennial top 10 to 15 team. Arizona State um, has done really, really well. Uh, but like in the men's uh, uh, basketball tournament, uh, the Pac-12 has not won a championship in a team hasn't won a championship in a very, very long time. Uh, it's uh, Stanford uh, in 1992. They won it in 90. They won it in 92. On the men's side, Arizona won it in 97. UCLA won it two years prior in 95. And uh, the Pac-12 has gotten teams in the Final Four, but they have not had a team win. Um, of course, it's tough with Tennessee and UConn and Baylor and all of those, and Notre Dame uh, as well. Um, I don't want to say what's missing, but what? how could you, I guess, explain that? Or is it just a case of uh, case sera sera uh, with the Pac-12? Well, you're right about your research and your data about not winning a Pac-12 championship yet, or winning an NCAA championship yet, getting to the Final Four. Uh, this year, Stanford is legit. Uh, they are a tremendous offensive team. We always know how good they are on the offensive side of the ball. This is the best defensive team Tara Vanderveer has had in a long time. Kiana Williams at the top of the D, and Anna Wilson has accepted her role as being a lockdown defensive player, and then... They've got back row coverage. They've got great hustle. The Hull twins are amazing. And then you've got Haley Jones, who is incredible when they rebound and get in their transition game. Uh, she is an amazing player with a ball in her hands because she's got size. She can score. She can get to the rim. She's a good distributor. I think they're dangerous. I think they are really dangerous. Whoever gets them on their side of the bracket is going to have a tough task to try to get through them. I do see them having an opportunity to be one of those teams that not just gets to the Final Four but legitimately has a chance to win. They check all the boxes for me when it comes to looking at teams that have a chance to win. Stanford's one. I think NC State's another team that we haven't mentioned. This is the best team Westmore has had, the best team that NC State's had in a very long time. They haven't been to the Final Four since 1998. So uh, I'm looking at NC State with a team with great experience, uh, incredible scoring power. 
score 80 points a game. They defend. They uh, are, are always a good defensive rebounding team. They have multiple weapons that can score, and they can go about seven deep now. So, you know, if you go seven or eight deep, that's pretty much what you need. And, and NC State avoids foul trouble because they really don't foul that much. So uh, Stanford and NC State are two teams that uh, I think will be really dangerous in the bracket. Yeah. Um, what about, uh, you know, trying to, uh, sticking with the Pac-12, um, is, is, is UCLA – uh, who goes to the Sweet 16 a number of times? Are they, with uh, Michaela uh, Onyenwede, are they a threat? Is Arizona a threat? Yeah. Are, are they threats, Oregon? Yeah. I know with, uh, with Sabrina not there anymore, it might be a little tougher, but what about teams like Arizona um, uh, in there, and UCLA as well? You know what, Addy? Uh, with UCLA, Charisma Osborne has played like a player of the year candidate in that league, so they've got two incredible scoring punches when you ask when you add Michaela Onyenwede and uh, Charisma Osborne together with the other pieces that they have they they have had a depth problem all year because they just weren't able to get some of their players from Australia that they were counting on but I mean UCLA is absolutely a very good team Corey Close does an amazing job with their offense I think they're gritty and tough on the defensive end and they can definitely rebound I like their chances and then Arizona has to um, avoid the scoring slumps that they get into inside games but defensively they are tough, and Ari McDonald is a player that you have to run offense away from. She's too good on the ball. If you dribble it near her, all the Pac-12 coaches will tell you she'll just take it. And she has improved her offensive game. She does make the threes better, even though, you know, I asked her. I have a podcast as well, and I asked her on my podcast about uh, teams still going underneath ball screen action on her, and she's like, I take it disrespectfully. You know, she, she's got a little edge about her, which I really like. But those three players out there, uh, Sam Thomas – and Kate Reese and Ari McDonald are fantastic. The chemistry on that team is great. And I think Adia Barnes has done a fantastic job with that group as well. Another fun team to watch. Uh, college basketball TV analyst and podcast host, Debbie Antonelli, uh, <laughs> joining us on the Alada Sports Talk podcast. I believe your podcast is Fast Breaking. Is that the podcast uh, or am I wrong? No, nothing but net. Nothing Debbie but Antonelli. net with Dan Debbie Antonelli. Thank you so very much. Uh, so I will have one more podcast downloaded uh, at the end of the day than I did to begin this day uh, as well. Um, the past three NCAA tournaments that have been contested in Division One, each team that has gone to the Final Four has been a one seed. Or a two seed. We haven't seen a team outside of the top two seed line since, of course, Syracuse um, and Washington uh, when they both went to the Final Four. Kelsey Plum uh, leading Washington to the Final Four. I think Syracuse. Louisville also, Addy. I think Louisville, Louisville? might have been in there. Uh, was a seven seed. I think in 2013, maybe. Yeah. I have to check. Uh, well, yes. Like in years before. Um, but in 2017, 18, and 19, they've all been one, ones or twos. Okay. So uh, Louisville did, yes, Louisville did have a Final Four um, as a seven seed prior to the Washington and Syracuse uh, Final Four appearances, but you're absolutely right on that. Um, the reveal of the top four seed snapshot uh, was just a couple of days ago. Uh, and you have UConn and Stanford and Texas A&M and South Carolina as ones. Um, at the moment, twos were NC State, Maryland, Arizona, Baylor. And these are all teams that we've mentioned. Louisville, UCLA, Georgia, and Indiana are threes. And Tennessee, Kentucky, Oregon, and Arkansas are fours. Um are there teams that you would project that would not be on the top two seed line? Which of those 
teams that wouldn't be mm-hmm. projected as a top two seed in your opinion probably has the best chance to make the final four and be a team outside of the top two to make the final four for the first time in the past four uh, NCAA tournaments? Or is it top heavy? Well, yeah, I like Louisville. I mean, uh, I've been watching them all year. I've had them a bunch. Dana Evans is amazing. Uh, I think she could be the number one overall draft pick depending on need. I mean, she is incredible. Uh, back-to-back ACC player of the year and the championships that she's been able to win. She's a winner. Uh, she's a high IQ player. She's got incredible skill. Uh, Louisville would be a team that if the other pieces can contribute like they have, and they're they're trending in the right direction right now, winning the ACC regular season, I would like their chances. Um, I will make this note, though. This is a really interesting discussion because based on my research, no team in the history of our championship has ever won a NCAA title on the women's side with their point guard as their leading scorer. So when you think about that, that's an interesting conversation around Louisville. Um, now, I did ask D- Diana Taurasi if in 2004, when she took that team to the national championship, if she was considered the point guard, she always says, no, Maria Conlon was a point guard. So I've always gone with that. Otherwise, that would debunk my research, right? So, um, but I, I think... It's really interesting uh, conversation. You know, can a Kemba Walker like um, performance by Dana Carey? Somebody absolutely does. She have that kind of skill set to do that? She sure does. Uh, and guards that have the ball in their hands that can dominate a game are really fun to watch. To me, uh, that's that's how much I enjoy college basketball. I think it's a guards game, and I think the guards dominate. They dictate on the top. They make everything work. Um, that's a team that I, I'm really interested in keeping my eye on. Uh, Another one that I think is a a little bit of a surprise on the national scene is Georgia. I think some teams are underestimating them. Now, the issue with them is always can they score enough? And I think this year, Joni Taylor's team has shown that they can. They're a veteran group. They've got veteran guards. They've got veterans in the right spot. They're hungry. Uh, Let's see how they do. But then the other team, um, Arkansas was not in the first reveal, but is in the second. Uh, I, I just love the style that Mike Neighbors plays. I think with shooters like that and the way they space the floor, I think you can make a deep run because I don't ever think shooters get tired. So <laughs> teams that grind it out and are gritty, I think those are the teams that, that get tired, heavy legs, but not the way Arkansas plays. Uh, I think they're really fun, and, and I love the, the style and the philosophy. Yeah, we uh we saw uh, Chelsea Dungy score almost forty uh, against UConn in the win that the uh, Razorbacks had uh, in Fayetteville uh, against the uh, UConn Huskies. UConn's only loss uh, of the season. So you mentioned some teams that may not be in the top two seed line and probably won't be in the top two seed line when Selection Monday comes. That could be threats. Uh, recently, we've seen Buffalo. Uh, with uh, Felicia Leggett Jack make the Sweet 16. We've seen uh, Central Michigan uh, make the same uh, Sweet 16, same conference, the Mid American. Uh, we've seen um, a Quinnipiac make the Sweet 16 uh, in fairly recent vintage. Um, outside of the power conference structure, there are a number of really good teams um, outside of uh, that structure. Is there there will be teams that easily could make the Sweet 16. Who do you like the most of the teams that are not in the power conference structure? Missouri State. They've also a, a team that's been to the Sweet 16 recently with a lot of players on the team still that have Sweet 16 experience. 
I think uh, that's a team that you need to keep your eye on. I've had them in my poll, in the AP poll, all season. I've been watching them all year. Their guard play is veteran. They can rebound. They can shoot it. Uh, and, and I think they're a team that you have to keep your eye on. I like them. Gonzaga is a, another team that I think you have to, to keep your eye on. Uh, Lisa Fortier has another really veteran team. They've got the Worth twins out there. They've got Jill Townsend who can really play. Uh, they've got good backcourt play. This is a team that uh, I think knows how to win on a high level, and I think they just need to get the right seeding. If they get in the right seed, they could make they could make a run to the Sweet 16. Uh, we just uh, had the Play for K uh, initiative, of course, named after the legendary and iconic uh, head coach and human being uh, K Yao and uh the initiative uh, raises awareness and raises money uh, for cancer research and uh, brings communities of women together who have been uh, affected by cancer and honors those women, those who are uh, still with us here, uh, uh, and those who are not uh, as well. Um, uh, Kay Yao, of course, is a legend. Um, and you played uh, for Kay Yao um, at NC State. Um, she was your coach. What else was Kay Yao to you? Uh, like a second mom, an incredible role model, somebody who cared about people first. Uh, you know, she was never an alpha until it came to cancer. And then she decided that she was going to put her public battle on display. And when she did so, she galvanized a whole community of people to get behind her and support her and donate to try to make a difference. And, and that's what we've been doing. We have $7.78 million working in grants to try to find a cure for cancer. We utilize the Jimmy V Foundation Scientific Review Board. They do a fantastic job of helping us decide and determine who's grant worthy and who should get our money because we need to improve the quality of life and we need to beat cancer. And so those are things that I know Coach Yao would be really proud of that her legacy is not just about 737 wins or the eight Hall of Fames, including Naismith and, you know, the Olympic gold medal and all the things that she's done. Uh, there are, I always say about 160 of us during her 34 years at NC State that played for her and we all share a common uh, bond to share her legacy and vision and we all do our part and I am the lucky one that I get to speak usually on behalf of all of my former teammates which I always take that with great pride and uh, responsibility to share because we have lost some teammates I lost one of my teammates to breast cancer uh, from one of my teams and um, we want to make sure that we're helping people that are fighting and that they know that the, we're in the fight with them trying to make a difference. So I know she would be highly proud of that, but she's had an impact on my life uh, in every role that I play, Addie, because uh, I had a 30-year relationship with my coach from being a middle school player uh, to being recruited by or playing for her. And then, of course, my basketball broadcasting career and then my role as a mom. So I've been so fortunate. I feel like a, it's a great privilege that she chose me and uh, she chose me a couple of times, one to play for her and one to help carry out her legacy. And those are really important charges for me. Uh, thank you uh, so very much for that insight as someone who uh, had a 
relationship with her and a very uh, just impactful relationship uh, that you had uh, with uh, Coach Yao. And again, I can't thank you enough for someone on the outside. Um, I did get a chance to talk with Stephanie Glantz when she was the head coach at Columbia University and interview her and talk to her about Kay Yao. And you could feel Kay Yao's presence talking to Stephanie, uh, talking uh, about that. So uh, thank you again for uh, that insight. Uh, you mentioned your role uh, as a mom and it was actually around this time five years ago uh, when uh, Sally Jenkins, writing for the Washington Post, uh, wrote a story uh, about your family, which uh, centered uh, around uh, one of your sons, Frankie, um, who uh, who has Down syndrome. Um, I do want to just ask you, uh, if you will, uh, please uh, give an update uh, on your children and uh, and Frankie as well. And how are they doing? How is he yeah. doing? Uh, just give us an update. Um, five years. Uh, down the road from uh, that um, wonderful article that Sally Jenkins wrote. You know, you're you're so kind to bring that up. I love talking about my boys, and I've been so lucky. Um, you know, my husband and I look at it like Team Antonelli. That's the way we've always approached it. And Sally Jenkins came and spent two days at our house with us and wrote this incredible story about going on offense. And if you, if you know um, anything about my basketball career, you know I'm very offensive-minded in the way I see the game, the way I think the game, and, and how I think the game should be played, especially on the women's side. And that's what we do here with, with my son, uh, Frankie. Uh, he's smart and handsome. He's athletic. He is highly social. He's got a lot of friends. And he just happens to have Down syndrome. It never has defined who he was. And we've never treated him like uh, he was special in that regard. But he is a senior at Clemson in the Clemson Life Program. When he was born, no parent like us or families like ours had an option for college. And those are options now that are out there, that there are post-secondary educational experiences for students with intellectual disability. And it, it is amazing. He is a manager on the women's basketball team in the non-COVID year. He's in a fraternity. He's in several clubs. He works a job. He takes classes. He experiences the entire college football experience at Clemson. And it is absolutely amazing that this transitional program on a college campus has allowed him to have a full college experience. And he is absolutely loving it. And he loves being there. He loves his team, his friends. Um, he has real friends, um, not the occasional high five. Hey, great to see you or somebody that wants to use them for community service. I mean, he's got lifelong friends. Mm -hmm that are invested in being his friend as well. And, and it's an amazing program, Addie. I'm so glad you asked about it. My middle son, Frankie, gets all the publicity here. He's the celebrity in the house. And my other two boys uh, are, are great brothers. Uh, my older son, Joey's already graduated from South Carolina and he works for my husband in his sports um, marketing and sports business, golf business. And then uh, my youngest son's a freshman point guard at Emory and Henry. He has been starting at the point the last couple of games, and he is having a great college basketball experience as well. We're really proud of him that uh, he's able to play uh, Division Three basketball in the Old Dominion Athletic Conference for Emory and Henry. So um, those are the three boys. It's Joey, Frankie, and Patrick, and uh, they are great guys, and I'm really proud of all of them, and uh, especially proud of the, the two young men that Joey and Patrick are becoming uh, with their experience of living and growing up with Frankie. And the experience that Frankie's uh, had on some of their friends as well, the impact of Frankie. He is a amazing kid and the college um, experience is just another thing that us as parents want. When you send your kids to college, 
You hope that they are going to learn, that they're going to mature. When they graduate, they're going to be ready for a job and ready to live on their own. And those are the same things that we want for Frankie. And so far, he is uh, grading out with an A+. So we're, we're really proud of him. Uh, that is unbelievably wonderful uh, to hear. And I do want to ask you one final question, and I'm so sorry. Um, you mentioned something uh, uh, about uh, Frankie and uh, uh, his development and growing up. It, it made me think, with your high profile, uh, as an analyst, um, as a speaker, um, and the article as well. I'm sure that there were a number of people, a number of moms, a number of sisters, brothers, um, that probably reached out to you because uh, they have a similar experience. Um, uh, uh, having a family member, having a really good friend uh, that may have a Down syndrome or uh, uh, another condition that might... Uh, that they can relate to in reading the story. Um, when people have reached out to you, I'm sure people have reached out to you since, um, even before the article, but then since the article uh, in 2016, what questions have they have, have they have asked and what advice have you, have, have you given to them? Well, uh, there is constant correspondence back and forth from people that I do know or don't know uh, that reach out to me, that, that ask me questions about, decisions we made, some of the things that we went about um, handling, how we handled different situations. I am actually in the process and have been doing so for several years trying to write my story about my life with Frankie because I think there are a lot of messages inside of what we've done, decisions we made, how we went about handling different situations that I think can help some other people navigate their own path. Um, you know, it wasn't easy. I've had to advocate for him all along, uh, all through public school, uh, every step of the way. There were sometimes teachers that were more willing and were able. There were some that weren't. And I looked at it as uh, any head coach would look at their team, Addy, to be honest. If you've got a team, everybody's got to play their role. And if they don't play their role, it's your job as a head coach to try to figure out how you can help them be a productive part of the team. But if they decide that they don't want to be on the team, then they might have to go on the transfer portal. <laughs> or they might have to be cut. And, and – uh, Trust me, I, I'm not I'm not celebrating this, but I did help two teachers and a bus driver out the door. And uh, I love telling stories about that because um, I think that there's the right way to go about doing things and then there's the wrong way to treat people. And uh, you can't treat people differently because look at the climate of our country right now, what's happening. Uh, you know, people with special needs, um, need similar supports and need the same sort of awareness and recognition. Inclusion and diversity isn't always about race. There's a lot of ways that we can look at inclusion and diversity. And being the mom of a child with special needs, I certainly have lived that and I've seen it and I've lived it through the eyes of watching um, experiences around my kid. I mean, if you ever wanted to have a conversation that was long and drawn out about some of the things that we have encountered along the way, good and bad, um, but mostly, uh, mostly good, because while there are a couple of speed bumps or obstacles, and, and there have been numerous obstacles that we've had to overcome, I mean, it, I'm not going to sit here and say it's been easy. Uh, and, but I think my experience in sport, my ability to go into gym and listen to some of the great teachers and leaders and communicators in our game have allowed me to 
sort of frame Team Antonelli in a, in a similar way, and it has really helped me be able to help my son be the best that he can be. And as a teacher and as an educator or as a coach, that's ultimately what you really want from your players. And as a parent, that's ultimately what you really want to do with all your kids. You want to help them be the best they can be. And there's a lot of pieces that come with that, and it's not always easy. But, but I'm telling you, uh, the Sally Jenkins story sort of opened up the eyes to what our life was sort of behind the camera. And uh, I know when the story first came out, there were over a million clicks on it. That uh, there, that story did reach a lot of people, and hopefully it helped some people. And and those that had questions did reach out and call. And to your initial point, I mean, I could talk all day about my life with my son Frankie, but um, I, I I see sport and how it has helped us as a family, and how it has driven some of the um, decisions that we've made. And and then I have to mention this just because it's really important when we're talking about my son and sports. Um, I'm sure you're aware of my Special Olympic fundraiser. I, I have to at least bring this up, Addie, because this is something that's really important to me, and if anybody's listening, uh, I do a Special Olympic fundraiser every May. So May 15 and 16 in 2021, I will be back in my driveway, and I shoot free throws for 24 hours. So I start at noon. Mm -hmm. On the top of the hour, I make 100 free throws every hour for 24 straight hours. At the end of 24 hours... I've made 2,400 free throws. Well, if you gave me a penny for every free throw that I make, it's $24 that goes directly to Special Olympics to help programming and to help those athletes train. And uh, I've done it for two summers, uh, two, two times. I'm going to do it a third time. Here's the numbers from it. Now, I train okay. to do this. This is not something that's easy. Uh, uh, I have to do some significant training. And, and keep in mind, I get AARP mail. So it's like out there like I was in college making 100 free throws uh, every hour. So it is a significant training, uh, Addy. It is a training that is consists of things I didn't even do when I was a college player because they didn't really exist. Like we had squat thrusts back in the day, but now there are planks and there's burpees and there's sprints and there's squats. And there's a lot of uh, conditioning that, that comes into play with getting ready for this task that I take on, but we live stream the entire 24 hours. It is uh, 24 hours, nothing but net. You can go to YouTube and you can click on it on May 15 at noon, but this is what we do. The first year I was in a gym, I shot 94% for the 24 hours and we raised $85,000 for Special Olympics. Last year I was in my driveway due to COVID and the pandemic because we couldn't be in a gym. Yeah. And we raised $125,000 to take us over 210 for a two-year total. And I oh. shot 89%. So I'm going to blame the elements a little bit. And then I was probably <laughs> missing a little something in my training that I'm going to fix. But um, I'm, I think the better I shoot it, because it's not about the free throws, right? Yeah. It's not about but, – but the better I shoot it, the better the story the more interesting, the more people that pay attention, the more people that are willing to give. So I hold that responsibility very high in my training and, it, and I use it to motivate me, uh, you know, when it gets tough out there. But I, I do need to share um, one routine that I do that if anybody's listening that's a basketball player, I'd like for them to try to do the same thing. So I worked my way up to this where I was doing 10 sets of 25 makes with a burpee in between. 
So what I'm basically doing is in my driveway, I shoot a free throw, do a burpee. Free throw, burpee. If I miss the free throw, I still have to do the burpee. 10 sets of 25 makes. So I was making tw uh, 250 free throws and I was doing about 280 burpees in one set. And I was doing that uh, like every day when we got closer. So that's, that's sort of like, you know, like any athlete that's trying to train for anything, you have to have some metrics and some things that you can reach for. And um, that was something that I was doing. So I, I plan on doing that again and uh, working my way up to that during the spring as soon as March Madness is over. Uh, you talked about uh, having motivations. I am almost certain that you have motivated many, 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 many other people uh, during your years, um, especially uh, with the work that you do uh, every May. Um, it must be hard to hold your tongue anytime you see a missed free throw as an analyst. Um, <laughs> it must well, be my tough. Street cred in the gym. My street cred definitely went up a little bit after the first year because I know... Uh, there were several coaches that said to me, you shot 94% for 24 hours. I'm like, what's the big deal, man? Muscle memory. But, I mean, I, I, you know, what's wrong with these kids today? They can't make free throws. I mean, it's a, it's... Uh, wow. Um, and the, the last uh, little funny note I'll mention is, um, as a former uh, player in the ACC, you are soon to have um, a degree hanging in your wall um, of uh, Frankie's, uh, who also went to an ACC school, but not um, NC State. So I'm sure <laughs> that um, red and orange and purple can mix together um, in this case uh, with uh, the deep rivalries in the ACC. Uh, but uh, Debbie Antonelli... Uh, college basketball TV analyst, podcast host, Emmy Award winner, mother, motivator. Um, there are too many adjectives that I can come up with or you'll be here to the point where you're going to miss other deadlines. Um, Debbie, thank you so very much uh, for joining us and we cannot wait to continue to hear you um, on the call of so many games during uh, championship week and leading into uh, both the men's and women's uh, NCAA basketball tournament in uh, 2021 and beyond uh, as well and uh, Debbie thank you so very much for taking out the time uh, dropping some serious knowledge as well um, and um, shaming me for my less than 80% free throw shooting in high school um thank you so very much yeah. all right and we definitely hope to catch up with you down the road as well daddy you are a wonderful personality your spirit is so bright and you're shining it all over with your podcast so thank you for everything you do i i love spending time with you and i can't wait till the next time we can hang out Twenty four hundred free throws at a ninety four percent clip. Absolute boss lady. I cannot thank Debbie Antonelli enough for joining us on the A Lot of Sports Talk podcast, talking about so many different things. Her nothing but net charity and literally nothing but nets when she shoots all of these free throws uh, to raise uh, awareness and to raise money uh, for charitable causes. Um, the words that Debbie Antonelli blessed us with today, um, it, like it gives you chills, really. Um, even at the beginning of the show, uh, talking about the game itself and knowing that uh, there are people uh, who support the game of women's basketball, want the game of women's basketball to grow and the women's game in general, no matter the sport, uh, to grow. And you 
you get to feel that when you talk with Debbie Antonelli and talk with other people who have been fighting for the women's game to grow and having so many different ideas to bring on into onto the table. Um, and Debbie has been on the forefront for so many years and to be able to, uh, just pick her brain a little bit. Um, it's, it really is an honor. Uh, so again, thank you, uh, to Debbie Antonelli for joining us on the, a lot of sports talk podcast, episode number 45, which is wrapping up right now, but stay tuned to a lot of sports talk.com. And we have coverage of the 2021 NCAA men's and women's basketball tournament will have coverage of championship week as well uh, i'll be and am in new york city uh we'll be covering the big east tournament we'll also have coverage of the big 10 tournament out in indianapolis indiana as well so again stay tuned to a lot of sports talk.com you can follow us on social media on instagram it's a lot of sports talk you can follow us on our facebook page a lot of sports talk on twitter we are a lost at a lost a l o s t underscore official you can follow me on my facebook page under my name at ashina koiki uh or follow me on twitter which is at koiki k-o-i-k-i underscore sports we thank you for listening to episode 45 of the a lot of sports talk podcast thank you so very much for joining us and i guess one last note um i did mention at the top of the show it's been a year uh since we really started to understand the seriousness and the gravity of COVID 19 and the coronavirus and i'm sure that many people listening to this podcast um uh have been affected uh by uh, COVID-19, whether it's themselves, uh, friends, family members. Um, I contracted the virus, uh, in January, uh, just a couple of months ago. Um, thank goodness that at the moment that I'm okay, uh, my 72 year old mom, uh, who contracted the virus as well. Um, and, uh, she has preexisting conditions, um, but showed no symptoms. Thank goodness for that. She's okay. My brother as well contracted it and he's okay right now. But I know that millions of people have been affected. Over half a million people have died in America as a result of contracting uh, COVID-19. So um, our condolences go out to all the people affected um, and the families of those who have lost loved ones uh, because of COVID-19. Um, it's been a tough year. It's been a tough 12 months. Um, I believe we'll get through it. We will get through it. But at the same time, we do have to be reflective um, and know that um, uh, things are not good. And um, in these times, uh, the human spirit does shine through. And there have been many instances where that's been the case. But um, this also has highlighted uh, so much of the institutional ills uh, that this country um, still is afflicted by. Um, so... Please be vigilant of that. Please be aware of that um, as we continue and try to get to a point to move the needle more towards a little bit of normalcy, uh, life that we remember about 13, 14 months ago. Uh, th again, thank you so very much for joining us for uh, the Alliance Sports Talk podcast, episode number 45. Uh, and we'll see you for episode number 46. My name is Adeshina Koiki. Thank you so very much. Once again, for listening to the A Lot of Sports Talk podcast. You take care. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye.